Pulp Fiction, Mr. Holland's Opus, Titanic, The Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas, Jaws, Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit, The Movies, wow. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Smoking! Look out, Captain Marvel! Here comes Thanos! You know nothing of what for my David! Leave it a gun and take it a cannoli, mamma mia! I've always relied on the kindness of strangers. Hey, Bonnie, it's me, Fred! Hey, uh, do you remember the Titans? Carpe Diem says the day, boys. Ooh. You're so smart, Goodwill Hunting! You're so smart! Let my people go! Hooah! I can't see! Ah, uh, yes, folks. It's the movie podcast that the alt-right says is starting to get a little too woke for it. Uh, the movie's wow. Mikey Krennic here with you once again. Uh, once again, I'm joined by a very talented professional broadcaster, a busy professional broadcaster, who tonight will make an appearance in his third professional podcast feed in the past three months, best known for the Bad Movie Breakdown Podcast School of Schlock, but also once in future star of the Nature of My Game podcast, and also known in some circles for being married to my sister. It's the one and only Mr. Tom Witty. Hello, how are you? Hey, hi, Mikey. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm great. I'm glad to be on your podcast. I'm glad that uh, uh, we got a chance to do this. I, I did once uh, indeed have an opportunity uh, to bring a little spice to School of Schlock once, folks. I did The Mummy, uh, and my mm -hmm. microphone was very bad. That's what I remember about that episode. <laughs> <laughs> now, I remember that you actually made uh, you made the podcast funnier than it normally is, which I really uh, deeply appreciate. Well, yes, folks. It made it more listenable. The thing about School of Shock, you should know, is, is that it's it's like blood serious. There's not a laugh to be had. They break down movies like Dr. Frankenstein's Sex Party, but they do it with a, no sense of joy or wonder whatsoever. <laughs> right. There's, there's not, there's, I have to tell you, spoilers, there's no joy to be found in Dr. Frankenstein's yeah. Sex Party. Is it is the most joyless <laughs> sex party I've ever experienced. And as an joke. old vet of sex parties. <laughs> yeah. You know, a grizzled type of sex party vet. But no, Tom, uh, you do that School of Schlock podcast. You and Ryan Seacack uh, as your co-host for it. Mm -hmm. Now, how many years now have you guys been doing that? We started it in 2016, so wow. uh, July of 2016. So we're coming up on six full years. Six full years. Roughly how many episodes is that? We're uh, at 135, something like that. We'll be, we'll crack 150 this year. Well, yeah, I, I ask because first of all, I think it's impressive. And second of all, I, I want people to have an understanding of how many hours of content I sifted through desperate to find something to cancel you for. Oh, oh, well, you know what? You could just, you know, point me. Yeah. <laughs> you just ask me if you, you, if you need to know point? because. Yeah. <laughs> no, I found so little. I have. <laughs> it wasn't even really worth it because I, my whole idea, um, for a new podcast, you know, I kind of teased it uh, earlier this week, but uh, it's, it's going to be called, it's going to be Why Yes, I Am Triggered. And I'm going to give like the Donald Trump Juniors of the world, I'm going to give them the boogeyman they want. So they, you know, they lay off other people. I'm just going to left and right call random people up and cancel them. Their biggest fears come true. I'm coming for all the free speech. And I, I figured I'd start with you, but you gave me nothing. Yeah, you should, I mean, and, and the thing is you should start with the highest profile people um, that you can, like, you should start with your Dr. Martin Luther Kings of the world yes. and explain why he is canceled now. Exactly. And just, and go by some, you know, take some of his past comments out of context and, and really rant and rave. But the problem with that is 
I, I think that Donald Trump Jr. and the gang will be a little too excited about canceling Martin Luther King. I might have to, but after then, go back in the other direction on him. But, but that—that's that's a fair point. Yeah, that being besides the point. Eventually, I think people would stop booking uh, my interviews. It would be like a Borat thing. You know, they'd catch on eventually. They wouldn't want to be on my podcast. So I'm just going to cancel them. But you never stop doing the character. Is no, the important no, point that's, here? You just keep being this character for. Years. I would never evolve. I'd be like Ernie Hudson. I'd go to Comic-Cons in my Ghostbusters jumper and just say, this is who I am, ladies and gentlemen. Doesn't matter that I've been in other things. I'm dedicated. Hey, I didn't I didn't sign on to this podcast to knowing that we'd be slamming Ernie Hudson right from I, the right from the get-go. I should have I should have remembered about the you know the advertising uh, deal you two have together. There's a lot of this ventures coming from the joint Ernie Hudson School of Schlock uh, uh, factory. So watch watch for that, folks. Pretty exciting stuff. Um speaking of factories, before we get to actual movies, uh Tommy uh Tyler, who is our our third stooge, our brother, my youngest brother. Uh, you folks at home should know that the three of us do like a good parody, uh, and that often includes film parodies, sometimes just kind of loose concepts, uh, ideas, or even just titles, like the worst kind of parodies. We, we, are, we do have quite an affinity for doing that, do we not? Oh, yeah, absolutely. All the time. And I, I wanted to bring it up because I do have a favorite that I wanted to tell everyone about because I just it, it tickles me to this day. Of course, I speak of the emotional World War II Germany uh, film about a simple German man desperately trying to understand the chaos around him, pleading only to his lone companion, the unseen Er Verne. I'm talking, of course, of Ernst, the new take on the Ernest P. Worrell mythos that, to this day, I still want to see made. Ernst has to be my favorite character that does not yes, exist. Yeah, yeah, we invented in our own heads. Yes, yes. The the like tragic. Yes, the tra- I, I I I don't I don't know if he's tragic comic or exactly what because he still has the mannerisms yes. of Ernest, yes. but is translated into this German World War Two character. Yeah, this black and white kind of just and it's no, it's really just these two. It's just him. It's a towering performance. Like we got the same guy who who uh, did uh, the Hitler and Downfall that everyone liked to parody. Uh, you know, do the yeah, captions. I, I, <laughs> I imagine Ernst is actually the man in the uh, classic um, sort of offensive. He fell out of the guard tower joke. Yes, yeah, that yes, that is that's the you know the life of Ernst is genuinely <laughs> that. Oh, Ernst, there's a. And he comically tumbles out of a guard tower and, yeah. and down and, to the ground. And it's like it's like the day the clown cried. Everyone says, "Excuse me, why this is not a this is not a a canvas for comedy? Why do you paint, artist? Why do you paint?" Right. This is this isn't okay. Why are we trying to make this funny? Because I don't know if you guys know this, but just check Twitter. Comedians are very important now. All of a sudden, they're like somebody I saw say uh, they're like troops for liberals. Uh, with the way they're always like, oh, you know, comedy should be protected. And it's just, we, we have to salute comedians who are there to make us think. Now they're there to tell jokes. I'm trying to make people laugh. What are you talking about, you lunatics? Are you are you saying that uh, Ernest should not be enshrined yeah. uh, like <laughs> one of the troops? Like, we can't have, like, the shrine of the uh, unknown, or the tomb of the unknown 
Ernest character. Yeah, the Tomb of the Unknown. Because I don't know any of the Ernest characters. I don't think anyone no, else I, does either. I know, I know. Who what was the old lady in the neck brace? What was her name that he did in every single movie that he ever he was ever in? He was always the old lady yes. in the neck brace at some point. What was her name? I'm going to say it's Ernestine, but that's yeah. a blind guess. That's. I bet that's wrong, and that's why she should be commemorated on the Tomb of the Unknown Ernest exactly. character. You proved, you proved your point, and I'm glad to help you do it. But we need to... We need to really raise awareness of Ernest out there in this world today. Uh, and in the spirit of a movie review podcast, and while we're talking about movies that are genius and we love them, I like to ask the guest reviewers two very simple questions. Uh, one, a movie you love. Two, a movie you hate. Take them in any order, but a movie that you love and a movie that you hate. Uh, you know, I'm going to start with the movie that I hate because I'd actually been thinking about this and really struggling. Um, I don't tend to watch movies that I think I will hate. Mm -hmm. I've watched some movies I haven't liked, uh, but usually if I, I start to really dislike a movie or something, I'll, I'll turn it off if I can. Very few movies that I've seen in theaters that I've actively hated. So I was thinking about it and struggling, but you, you cued me in on what it is. A movie that I hate was Ernest Goes to Africa. <laughs> That's true. We did sit and, and watch absolute, it all. Absolutely. We watched the entirety of Ernest oh. Goes to Africa, a movie that is, you want to cancel some folks, uh, get ready. I mean, Ernest needs to be canceled. A just blatantly racist movie, like horrifically so, made in the late 90s. We, yeah. We, not that no racist things were ever made in the late in the 90s, for sure, but we kind of should have known better trying to make a family-friendly Ernest film, and you make something that racist. Like, it's shocking. Yeah, it's... it's... And just grossly unfunny. Oh yeah, that's the other thing. I mean, it's not even like, oh, you know, it's it's risque, but you know, and he's he he it's offensive in new and shocking ways. Like Ernest goes to Africa. You got an idea of what you're going to get, and let me tell you, you get it. You get exactly uh what you think you might get in the movie so precariously titled, but you also get if I'm not wrong, uh hey you the Hindu in that movie, which is like, oh, I didn't yeah, know you go there in Africa. Wow. Yeah, you think you know the kind of racism you might experience in a movie like that, but then out of left field comes Ernest as Hey You the Hindu, complete in uh, dark face makeup and uh, making, you know, ridiculous uh, noises, saying crazy yeah. things that I guess he thought that Hindu people said and were, were the way that they acted. I don't yeah, know. I don't know what we're supposed to take. Is that art or the... Truly yeah, terrible. We can't separate the art from the character. Did Jim Varney think these things of Hindu people, or did the character Ernest P. Worrell? Because I have to tell you, and I have to tell Mr. Varney, uh, rest his soul, it didn't translate if it, if it was supposed to be just a character study. It, it, it just comes off wrong. You missed the mark. The whole thing will make you look at Slinky Dog <laughs> in new and uncomfortable ways. And, and I mean, don't we all have enough of those already? How about a movie you love? Yeah. Uh, this, this one was easy for me because, uh, it is my standard answer to the, my favorite movie question. And that is the princess bride. Um, a movie that is, uh, adventurous, um, almost effortlessly funny. Um, ultimately, uh, it has good emotional moments. It has, uh, it's paced extremely well uh, and it ends in a really positive and sweet way um, that I've loved it since I was a child. Uh, and it's still my favorite. Yeah, movie. I think it's a great movie. And I think one of the things that may it measures a great movie is if it can survive, uh, it's, it's kind of crossover into like 
common pop culture zeitgeisty stuff. Like there are movies that that pierce the veil, so to speak, and go just from being a movie that people like to being kind of a a touchstone. A lot of lines are quoted, a lot of references are made, and other things people just throw. People who use quotes to be funny use quotes from it to be funny, and some movies. Like mm-hmm. Napoleon Dynamite to me is a perfect example of one that the minute it got out there, it, it died on the vine. It didn't have any kind of yes. staying power. But Princess Bride, you see a Princess Bride reference, a joke, a line, just about every in everything for about 15 years, but it, it stayed fresh and it stayed nice. Yes, agreed. I, I agree. There's plenty of quotable lines from it. Uh, and and you're right. It It sort of... Um, it survives the barrage of people talking about how much they love it and quoting it constantly and all of that sort of thing. I feel like for most people, it's one of those films. There are, you know, a few movies and, and books and things like this where I, I don't know anyone who's ever said that they hate The Princess Bride. People, some people haven't seen it. Some people think it's decent, but it's not their favorite. And then some people, it's their favorite movie. But I don't know anyone who hates or even like strongly no. dislikes no. it. It's just sort of generally considered positive. You have to be genuinely being like that kind of contrarian asshole to not like. You cannot. It cannot be your favorite, but to be like, right. I don't like that movie. You're just saying it to get a rise out of people. Everybody's got a favorite line in that movie. I, I like. Right. Uh, uh, my name is Mandy Patank, and I'm going to kill your dad. That's my favorite part of that movie. I say that one all the time. Yeah, I mean, as you should. It's perhaps the most mem- single most memorable and quotable line yeah, from the entire film. Yeah, everybody knows exactly what I mean when I rush up to them and grab them by the collar and say it. Uh, everyone says, oh, you're doing the Princess Bride. And yeah, and yell about how yeah, you're Mandy exactly. Patinkin. I did it to Mandy Patinkin once. What a <laughs> mess. Uh, because he's apparently a real diva. Oh. Um, but anyway. Yeah. Well, I, I don't want to. If anyone deserved it, he did. Two man, just in case, you know, that's a big guest in the future. If we, I ever want to do an inside look at Elmo and Grouchland, I'm going to need Mandy. Uh, but speaking of, of Mandy and speaking of plenty of things, movies, uh, we've got movies we love, we've got movies we hate, but there's nothing more difficult to kind of wrap your head around and feel any kind of way about than a movie that kind of sits, it bisects the graph perfectly. And tonight, we've got one of them. The Matrix Resurrections, uh, the most recent sequel to the Matrix films. What happened? I don't know. Find out when we get back on the movies. Wow. We're back on the movies. Wow, Mike Krennic, Tom Woody from the School of Schlock podcast and Nature of My Game podcast uh, here with us. Uh, and and one of the things I like about that Nature of My Game podcast, which you can check out, uh, you just search it. I mean, I don't need to. I don't need to walk you through it. But there's a coherent storyline that's going on, and you can enjoy it, even though you know it's kind of told in an unconventional way. Uh, there's at least a beginning and a middle and an end, and you can tell where everything's going. Um, the movie that we enjoyed, question mark, uh, The Matrix Resurrections, uh, there are moments that you uh, it can't get such a compliment. There, it's, if anything, it's a little hard to understand it sometimes. Yeah, I would call it a somewhat difficult yeah, to comprehend. Yes, it's, whoo, baby, it, it's, a, it's a tough one because I, I watched it, and we'll talk about our, our both of our feelings on the series in general. But I will say I, I had, I was... 
I was somewhat excited to watch it. Uh, I was, you know, you know, the the sort of long hangover sequels. It just it it really hasn't worked. It worked on TV with Twin, Twin Peaks. It worked in the movies with Mad Max, but everything else they've tried it with has just it it, it to some degree been a problem. And I, for some reason, this I was like, no, I think this will be okay. I think that a gap makes sense in a world like this. And about 10 minutes in, I, I regretted ever thinking that ever in my life ever. Yeah, uh, it's it's a movie that immediately slaps you in the face mm -hmm. uh, just right from the outset, which <laughs> I, is something I, I just struggled with right from the beginning. Yeah. My, uh, my goodness, just the... <laughs> it feels like this movie doesn't like yes. the fact that you like The Matrix. Yes. It does. It really does. It, it feels kind of antagonistic to fans. And and I think as we go and we talk about kind of when you read the back, the behind the scenes story makes sense. It it feels like it loves the script, loves the source material. It is so reverent for the original Matrix. It is in it's adoring of it. And it's almost like it's disdain for everyone else, the people who like it, the people who work at the studio, the people who watch it, the people who wanted more, didn't want more. It's disdain for everybody else almost feels like it comes from a place of, no, this is mine. I love this thing yeah. and I want this thing and you can't have this thing. And it's like, oh, okay, I get it, but that doesn't make for a very entertaining film. Yes. Y yelling about how none of you get it. Yes. It's just like <laughs> when okay. talking about a movie that is uh, for a lot of people. I mean, people love the mm -hmm. matrix. That's gotta be the, a favorite movie for so many people out there in the world, because it's a terrific action movie with a good bit of like a good aesthetic, a lot of interesting philosophy and, and stuff to think about from it. Uh, and so to kind of come right out and be like, none of you understand this. None of you get it. Stop being yeah. fans of this. It's like, okay. Uh, um, it's very difficult. It's a difficult thing to accept. It is. It is. And especially when you realize that, that if you watch those, those three original movies, which I did not that long ago, um, it, it clearly, it, the, the, the heavy philosophy stuff, the heavy, here's what it all means. Here's under the hood. Here's the secret messages starts in the sequels right so it's like the first mm -hmm. one the best one the one that launched everybody had a it had those in it you can't deny that there were all these themes in it obviously both of them were bringing them to the table but they weren't the focus it, it seemed like they wanted to make a cool movie first and i heard a story one time about will smith uh having the 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 wachowskis came and pitched it to him and really, he said, the reason he said no is because they just came off like, wouldn't it be awesome if there was like karate in the sky? And like, he it, it didn't click with him. But I think mm -hmm. that in their heads were, was this big world, but they were focused more on the action in the first one. And the the philosophy was an undercurrent. It It's mm -hmm. washed over the movies since. Yeah, they've just, they've sort of buried the, it, it, not just the philosophy, but the discussion about the philosophy. Mm -hmm. I mean, that whole... I, you know, we'll get to scene discussion. I get, I guess, in a bit, but uh, I, I just the the opening was just so abrasive. Yeah, it, it felt like the movie did not want you to. I don't know how to describe it. It didn't. It didn't like. It didn't like what the Matrix had become, but it wasn't willing to accept sort of the responsibility of the creators. Yes. 
that's a good way in to making it. it that maybe I yeah and I think that yeah. the, the thing about it is it it the concept it being so aggressively meta and that's the thing about about this movie we're not gonna we never really try on the movies well to explain the plot spoilers will come up but it would be worthless to try to explain it to you it, we'd get the movie itself gets bogged down trying to explain it so imagine us but it, it 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 is not afraid to be meta about the fans it's not afraid to be meta about the um process the the studio wanting it made and making all of these references and i would honestly say in terms of like when you compare it to other things that try to be meta, they hit about 33%. Like one out of every three is like, eh, that's not necessarily the funniest thing I ever heard, but it's it's good. They got it. You know, that's a nice little reference to something. Mm -hmm. But they take mm -hmm. so many shots that 33% isn't good anymore. You're When you take yeah. 300 shots and make 100, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. But But it won't criticize itself. It will criticize everything right. about the Matrix outside of the movie, but it refuses to look at itself and even have a hint of, of self-referential, like, yeah, the story's a little this, that, or the other thing. It it will not do that. And I think that, that if you wanted to go meta, you got to go all the way. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it would have it would have redeemed it somewhat if it was willing to be even jokingly a little self-critical. Um, and it just doesn't, it just doesn't do that. Instead we get the like, well, Warner brothers is telling us we're making another, in this case, in, in this movie, everybody, the matrix were a series of games oh, yes. and, and, and Neo is Tom Anderson again. And he, he is trapped in a matrix reality where, wherein he was the lead game designer of those games yeah oh and so it's still the matrix trilogy no one explains why in the presumably these games were made in the 90s no one explains why the game the the graphical fidelity of these games was such that they looked like movies nope, nope. but you know we don't have to think about that too hard um but yeah so so it starts off with you know oh warner brothers is making us make another Matrix game. It's happening. Another Matrix is happening. Warner Brothers said so. It's happening with or without us, so we need to get on board. <laughs> and this is a pet peeve of mine, personally. But I think the recasting stuff can get so lazy, and it's so... It, it, look, if, if Hugo Weaving couldn't do the movie... Agent Smith doesn't need to be in the movie. And if you're just writing the script to go, oh, it can be whoever, then you're really not thinking about the movie, are you? Because obviously that character is iconic and it's associated with one guy. You can have a guy like him. You can have the same character. No one's really going to give you too much crap. Look how much people loved uh, uh, the fucking uh, Force Awakens. Nobody really got, got all over J.J. Abrams for essentially making the same movie. But because... Lana clearly loves the Matrix as much as she does. And I, again, no problem with that, but it's got to be Agent Smith. And and Lawrence Fishburne, they didn't even ask him. Yep. What the, they didn't ask him, and they still had Amorpheus explained in the stupid, oh, he's a, he's a computer program. They didn't no, ask him? No, he was never asked. I was not aware of that. I assumed they asked him, and me he too. just turned and it no, down. Apparently, he said, now they never asked me. What? I... So I have complex thoughts. I, I don't even know where to start with the Morpheus thing now that you've revealed that. I have complex thoughts about the Agent Smith casting because I, I start, let me start from a fun place of fundamentally agreeing with you. Absolutely. 
he shouldn't have been in the movie. Like you could have removed yes. his part yes. and explained away the little bit in which he figured yes. into the larger plot, the very little bit, because he's basically a deus ex machina. Yeah. He's a device to be like, oh, well, and then the analyst wasn't able to kill them because the he's because Agent Smith yeah, showed he, up. That's it. That's the only way that's he's it. important. Yeah. And they could have presented any other twist that yes. would have done the same thing. So he didn't need to be in the movie at all. 100% did not need to be in it. If they were, he was going to be in it, I would have liked to have seen Hugo Weaving reprise the role. That would make sense to me. If, given that, one, they decided he had to be in the movie, two, they didn't get Hugo Weaving for it, if those both, the, both of those things are true, which they were in this case, I am okay with the way in which the character was changed. So... It starts from a place of shouldn't have been in it in the first place, like fundamentally should not. But given that they did put him in it and given that they didn't get Hugo Weaving, I actually do like what they did with the character from that point forward, which is to say they made him a tech bro. (laughs) They turned Agent Smith into an Elon Musk or, um, but they, yeah, they turned him into this sort of smarmy, slightly handsome um, but like really ferociously business oriented tech bro, the kind of guy who is constantly tweeting about yeah. how yes. he's investing yes. in NFTs and crypto. Um, and I, it actually, it actually worked. I thought that that change worked. Okay. It's just that what his character ultimately did in the film didn't matter. It didn't make sense. Like it, that, that part yeah. didn't, if- didn't gel, but if you're going to change his character, changing it into this tech bro, I actually thought was all right. Like that's a way to update your sort of a kind of like general cultural criticism uh, in a way that I think works. Okay. Not that this still isn't a bad guy, obviously, but back then the super officious, super uh, uh, procedural kind of uh, a dead serious white shirt, black tie. That was the ultimate villain of the American outcast in 1999. You know what I mean? Like that was the guy that everyone said, "Ah, oh, this, yes. you know, fuck authority." That was he was the end of that generation, and Agent Smith was that. Now these people are all adults. Some of them still yep. act that way, which is fine, but others have kind of matured and have a new face of what they hate about capitalist kind of authoritative control, and it's this kind of faux, uh, laid-back, cool tech bro. I agree with you 100%. It's it's a cool thing to do. But, like, he doesn't need to be Agent Smith. He could even be, like, he's a a child program of the original Smith code. Whatever. But he's just, it's just he's Agent Smith. That's it. Yep. You're absolutely right. It would have been probably just dirt simple to change what he was into something related to agent Smith, but not actually agent Smith. That would explain so much, not just about the change in what he looks like, but his general change in personality and behavior and attitude towards, towards Neo. All of that could have been so easily written off and explained. And that's what, no, it's not even so much that they do it. It's that they do it lazily. One of the many things that doesn't make sense is that, Neo, aka Tom Anderson, in the Matrix is apparently programming. He's programming for the game, quote unquote, but he's apparently programming actual things yeah, into man. the Matrix itself because he he programs. So that's why Morpheus is 
alive. He's not actually alive. It's not a person. It's a program rendition of Morpheus that Neo created within the Matrix. I don't know. I don't know how he was able to program something in the Matrix when he was made to not understand that he was in the Matrix when he's just programming a yeah. computer game. I, I don't know how any of that shit is supposed and to work, so, but it's just to me. Yeah. It's like, and the thing is, like, I, I, it sounds like it, but it's not. I'm not gonna. It's not an aggressively bad movie. I'll say this for like the long break sequels. When you think no. about what's, I, like I said, Mad Max pulled it off uh, in movies, but the, I mean, it's been like Dumb and Dumber Two, Tron Legacy, Indiana Jones. Oh, Independence and Insurgents. <laughs> like, I was looking up, like, the longest ones. And, like, Mary Poppins Returns sounds like it's from a far side. But that's a real movie that happened. And as, as far as those movies go, mm-hmm. it lands in the upper tier of that. But that's not that's not high praise. There's, like, one good one, and the rest are either bad to decent. And this is decent. But So I don't want it to sound like it's a, this garbage movie. It's not. But it... it so much of the script is so muddled and just happens to happen. And like, oh, he, yeah, he programmed this modal uh, mode of the original Matrix, kind of with some differences because we all we forgot to call Larry Fishburne. But it, it's it, it, they ran out of tiny sunglasses on set, maybe, and they knew they didn't have the heart to tell them. But they, what, whatever it is. I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt your thought. I just wanted to tell you about how much in 1997 or so I wanted those tiny fucking sunglasses. Because it was Wild Wild West, if you remember, also both both Will Smith and uh, legendary action action movie star Kevin Klein. Yes, Kevin Klein. Yes, thank you. Both in the tiny sunglasses in like 97 or 98, whenever that came out. And so that's the one that made me want the tiny sunglasses. And then Matrix just reinforced it with, with Lawrence Fishburne in the same type of things. The teeny little sunglasses. Loved them. Because I look back on some of the pictures that do exist of me, and I'm always like, oh, no. Uh, and I know that, that I was I wanted to take it further and was always said told no. And I was mad then, but I look back and, like, thank God. But my mom didn't allow me to buy uh, uh, Larry Fishburne sunglasses. I would never, ever want to look at those pictures ever again, but I feel like I would have to. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know, because I have to tell you, you know when Neil gets the weenie whistle in the Santa Claus? <laughs> my version of the weenie whistle from the Santa Claus would be Santa, like, parachuting down a pair of tiny sunglasses, I think. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Then... You know, there's all kinds of new characters. I can't keep them straight, I swear. It's like, did I hallucinate this? I think one of them is Bugs, and she says it's because of Bugs Bunny, uh, which I that's something, so, so, something we'd make up, but I'm pretty sure that happens in this movie. It did happen, which is the only way I, I, I can say, I guess, good, because as soon as they say, as soon as they say her name and they're like Bugs, or she says, I'm Bugs, you're like, like what, like fucking Bugs Bunny? What is this? And then she's like, okay. like in Bugs Bunny. Yeah, like, it's a oh, classic, okay. like, I'm going to say it guess. so no one can insult me for it. And when sometimes, and in this movie, I do think they pull that off sometimes, where they just like, we're going to get ahead of it and say it, and it won't be so bad. But the, when they miss, they really miss. The The story at the center of it is is so then so little really happens in this movie when you get down to it 
and we're going to come back in a minute and talk mm -hmm. about our favorite scenes, or at least, excuse me, scenes that sum up how we feel about the movie. But it's hard to pick one because so little happens, uh, and the things that do happen sometimes are incoherent. But I, I, I wouldn't, I mean, we'll give our final evaluation later, but despite all that, I still, I don't really think it was a bad movie. I almost don't know what I think about it. There is, I don't know if there is a good coherent way to think about the film right now. I'm sure if you gave some scholars enough time to write some theses on this movie, you'd come up with something coherent, but it is difficult to come up with a single uh, a single defining way to feel about the film because I am, I'm also of two minds about it. There's some stuff about it. I really hate it. Like I actively really, really strongly disliked about this movie, but there were a few moments in it that reminded me of why I like the matrix films. And so those two things taken together made it difficult for me to like f come up with a single sort of direction yeah, I would say that, that, in the, the way I feel about the movie. I was watching the movie. I spent feeling like, Oh, well, well okay. then. just go, whatever, go on. Like it was one of those, like, I don't, I don't know, but when we get back, uh, uh, we'll mm -hmm. tell you each about a scene that kind of sums up our feelings, our complicated feelings on this complicated film, the matrix resurrections. Uh, when we get back in a moment, these lies and more lies. Smith? What does the world come to when you can't even trust a program? Huh? Tom and I have more in common than you know. Once he got out, let's just say... I was free to be me. And we're back. It's the movie's wow. Mikey Krennic, Tom Witte, uh, here with you tonight talking about The Matrix Resurrections. It's a point that's been made on a million reviews, but it really does bear repeating. With the way this movie was structured and the way the whole meta thing and the whole years later, why you don't just call it The Matrix Rebooted. The Matrix is a computer program. Why don't you just call it The Matrix Rebooted? But I, everything about this movie needed to be obtuse, I guess. Yeah, famous computer term, resurrection. <laughs> exactly, everybody knows. Which, oh, what when you think about the Matrix, what part of it do you more uh, relate to? What part of it's more iconic? The uh, uh, the kind of computery new cyberpunk uh, pastiche it painted, or the tired Jesus metaphor? Ooh, the, the latter for certain. Name it after that. Invoke that tired metaphor that was done better in E.T. I don't think so, ladies and gentlemen. But speaking you... <laughs> of this movie, Tom, do you have a scene that you feel sums up how you feel about this movie uh, if you had to distill it down? Look, I don't want to pull a Matrix-like twist on you here. <laughs> but, and I also don't want to step on your toes, but I, I sort of have two scenes in mind because I have a scene that encapsulates everything I don't like about the movie, and then I have a scene that encapsulates at least most of what I do. And unsurprisingly, they're two different scenes. Completely. And I, I, um, I, so in, I, in an ideal world, we'd share one of them. That would be, but we'll see. Who knows? Maybe maybe you've got two that I don't okay. know. Let's hear them both. Okay. I Well, I, I have to talk about, because we, we talked about what this movie sort of, does wrong or, or what are the ways in which it is abrasive to us. And so I have to talk about the opening 20, 30, almost 30 minutes or so of the movie, yeah. which is all of the things that I didn't like about yeah, it yeah. and why it was 
I was really worried about how I was going to feel about this film and just assumed I would just maybe not like the whole thing because the entire opening of the movie is all of the meta stuff, all of the stuff where they're saying, oh, Warner Brothers is making us make another game and where characters are literally, and this, this always gets on my nerves, in, but especially in movies like this where I guess they felt that they needed to update it for the modern audience, you know? It's not the 90s anymore, so people are going to say, OMG, she's a total MILF. Yeah, oh my god. Out loud to other humans, oh, like, that's how I'm going to talk to somebody. That guy. Sometimes creative people, I've said this a lot of times about people, you know, they... They'll write these things, and it's clear that they they don't relate well to others, or they don't get out much anymore, or they you know they're kind of in their own head a lot because like that man I don't remember what his name is, but the uh, she's a total milf. That chubby baby faced cherub man does not exist in the world anymore. He's gone. He he got new ideals, but that's like a straight out of two thousand two loser just dropped into this movie i hate that guy so much yeah with his weirdly like it's not not quite to the level of harvey firestein but it's like it's almost like uh, harvey firestein's like maybe what he sounded like as a very young man yes, or something he like he has this kind of like yeah, it, yeah he has his voice is kind of like down here and a little it's bit rocky so you're like what's this voice coming out of this like like this kind of nerdy looking yeah, chubby man he looks like uh what's his name uh, was the the weak link in all the the there was a run of early 2000s happy madison movies nick swarsden he looks like that guy and, and here he is talking like this and it's like what's going on is it jimmy durante what's happening yeah, I don't I say, your jimmy durante impression yeah. <laughs> and yeah and so and the the whole this the whole opening is just full of lines from the original matrix like at the, the the whole opening scene first of all is just the opening scene from the original matrix but then they cut away to demonstrate that they understand that it's the opening of the original matrix because oh they're replaying this interesting oh this is how this happens that would be the trinity character oh that's so interesting and then agent smith the guy who becomes agent smith reciting agent smith's lines and turning to neo and be like oh those lines were in that in that game were really good like that's the things that you had agent smith say and it's it's so annoying it's so frustrating and stupid <laughs> it's so they just lay it on so thick oh. that's the thing every scene so much it's too much we know you liked the first matrix it blows my mind that nobody can get this right because it should work fine a long layover sequel especially to a movie like this and especially if you're willing to plant your tongue in your cheek like this was uh it, it, you can just kind of make fun of the fact that it's been a while you can be meta on it it's why i always believed uh, and unfortunately, I was completely wrong, judging by Ghostbusters Afterlife, that you could have done a third Ghostbusters movie because that movie lent itself to them being old and fat and bad at their job. That would have been a funny way to look at it. But they, they, that movie's very bad. Don't watch it. Um, but this movie, again, is the same type of thing where they walk to the line of making fun of the gap, but they just can't. It's too, they're too reverent. They can't quite do it. They can just make fun of how people feel about it. Yeah. Yeah, and just have a whole scene that's, you know, writers, creatives, you know, brainstorming ideas about the new Matrix game and making all of the commentary. Yeah. 
about what the Matrix is or what people think the Matrix is and the way people talk about the Matrix and all of these things uh, and, you know, how it becomes marketed and all of the, like, there's all of this meta-criticism criticism around what the Matrix as a movie became yes. culturally and the way we talked about it and the way it was marketed to death and all of these things. And it's just, it's too much. You didn't need to do that much no, with that. It's so it, confrontational. We get it. It's so confrontational. It, it, yes. And, and just uh, to put a bow yes. on it, and then obviously I want to hear the, the scene you like, but it it all comes back, and again, to the point that I, I don't know how well the people who exist, who are making this movie know the people that exist, that the after credit scene of this movie is all of those same meta characters sitting around those those silly developers who bring the comic heat so quickly early in the movie at the tail end, they bring a little bit more by making the hilarious and, and prescient observation uh, that you've never heard before uh, folks certainly grab onto the, the handles of your chairs. People on the internet like cat videos, a joke from 13 years ago, 14 years ago, that's the big stinger on this movie. So that should tell you why these meta developer scenes don't work. Not only are they adversarial to the, the, the product and the fans, that it's out of touch with what meta people would talk about now anymore. Mm -hmm. Ridiculous. The, all of the yeah. dialogue needed to be oh, revised. It felt like a first draft. There's so much incredibly awkward dialogue in this film. And it's not just the meta stuff, but a lot... There are just every scene has dialogue that is just bad or nonsensical or the kind of thing where you're like, why would the character do this? Like this, this is not the way anyone no, would speak. No, not even in these movies. This is not how anyone would do anything. And I give a wide berth to these movies. My name's Sequoia. My father really liked trees. When the at one point the analyst says, "You know what I like about feelings? They're so much easier to control than facts." What are you, Ben Shapiro? What's happening here? Stop it! In one time, women were so much easier yeah, to control. What? Knock it off! Just make a movie. Please. I mean, you, there's low-hanging fruit, and then there's fruit yeah, on the ground that's rotting. Been like, stepped on. We know we're supposed to hate this yeah, character. You don't need like, to do that. You feel bad for the guy because he's such a caricature. It's like, oh my goodness, that's not a thing. Yep. But uh, uh, now, what I'm interested to hear is the the scene that you felt encapsulates the things you like about it. I think the 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 Matrix, for all the talk about philosophy and everything else that it, that you know people apply to it, I think those things only stand up to so much scrutiny. I think the best parts of the Matrix are still the action. That's the, the stuff that's memorable. That's the stuff that was super innovative at the time in 1999 when it came out. It is in reflecting on the sequels, not to get into the sequels, but in reflecting on them. The only stuff about any of the sequels that I remember are the good cool yeah. new action yeah. scenes that were in some of those. I really think the best stuff in any of the matrix movies are when they do interesting and innovative action scenes. And in this movie, you have a lot of rehashing of action scenes from the original matrix, but you actually have towards the end, you have the bot swarm attack and the bot swarm attack was not something I was expecting in this movie. It's effectively a zombie horde scene. That's how it's played. It's just a bunch of like thousands upon thousands of what would have been civilians are turned into these activated bots that just come over and try to tear you apart with their hands. So it's just all of these people coming out and, and effectively making a 
zombie action sequence in your Matrix movie where you have your your people, your agent, your not agents, your uh, your Matrix characters having to do their Matrix stuff, all of their precision shooting and kind of like stunt driving and all of those kinds of things that you know the the Matrix for, but in order to get away from effectively a zombie horde. And it was filmed really well. They did a great job of doing this whole faceless thing where almost they're almost always backlit, mm-hmm. so you can never actually see what they look like. You know they're just normal people, but they try not to show their faces too much. Um, you, uh, there's just a, a lot of really tight editing in there. It's a really good, yeah. innovative action scene. And when I was watching that, I was getting that... I could feel a little bit of that Matrix action scene high that I got from the lobby scene in one or from the highway scene in two. The innovative, fun, exciting action stuff that's something you haven't seen in a Matrix movie Yeah, and it worked on a meta level as well because some stuff did as a video game thing because that's a big thing in video games now is those horde modes. So it was interesting to see them play with that in this little modal matrix or whatever the that he was in. And, and it was just, I, I found that whole thing to be very interesting as well. And, and a thing that, like you said, I didn't expect. Uh, and it, it does feel like there are these, mm-hmm. these flagpole moments in the movie that it, everything was just to get to. And that being the biggest of them. I would agree with you that that's a really one of the best scenes in the movie. One of the best ones worth watching. But even within that, the thing like, okay, oh, wow, guys, did you notice that uh, uh, Neo can do the force push now from, from Skyrim? He could do the, the ah, and oh, he make I... them go backwards and make them go backwards. And he's doing it again and again and again. I... <laughs> and again and again. I thought the exact same thing. I was like, oh, he has effectively they've reduced what he can do to force powers. Like he doesn't fully believe in himself or whatever. So he can't do flight or anything. So he can just do force push over and over and over again, or like stopping bullets temporarily, like a force shield. And that's it. Those are the things that he can do. And he just does it over and over and over again. And it, it, it stops getting interesting. It's no, not interesting it really after a while. Like watching someone play a video game when they know the one attack that works. Uh, it's it's like I, I play uh, uh, my mm-hmm. girlfriend plays Super Smash Brothers with us, and and she just plays as Donkey Kong and just hits the ground the whole time. You can't go near her because she's just pressing those two buttons to make Donkey Kong do the like. It's like okay, I see what he does there. Okay, I get it. That's what watching that part became. And again, such a shame because it was a high point. It was a high watermark for the movie. But it's just got to have these little frustrating things inside of it. And and, and that's what my scene that's is going to boil down to. And I'll tell you all about that in just a moment as we continue on in our, our venture through the Matrix. We're red-pilled uh, both on this show and, and in real life. You should look at some of our social media posts. We're red-pilled, all right. On the movies, well. <laughs> face reality people movies are dead games are dead narrative dead media is nothing but neural trigger response and viral conditioning wait what are you two talking about cat videos what we need is a series of videos that we call the cat tricks and we're back on the movies. Wow. Mikey Kranick, Tom Witte. Once again, we're talking about the Matrix Resurrections. And we're talking about our scene, our Uno scene, the one that makes us really 
uh, expresses how we feel about the movie. You heard Tom's too. I picked one that kind of encapsulates both of the things uh, that you mentioned, the good and the bad, and that's why I picked it, because it's a scene that uh, should have been incredibly interesting, and I found myself at moments being tricked by some of the, the window dressing, uh, and it became interesting, and then I would remember, wait a minute, this is just talk, 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 exposition. You can dress it up however you want. This is a movie of architect scenes. And the biggest one to me is when they're at the, it's like the garage, the analyst, uh, Neo goes to find Trinity at the garage. She's got a motorcycle and they, it's where they debut kind of the new type of bullet time, which is the analyst, Neil Patrick Harris, he can slow down time and move things because he's moving at a regular kind of speed so he can move things out of the way. It's kind of, you know, the bullet time was inspired by other things. Uh, and this, Clearly, kind of, it, it seems to have been born in the, the X-Men, uh, the first class, those types of movies, where they started doing the Quicksilver stuff when he would run and be able to move everything that was moving super slow. Um, but it's really cool. It's a cool visual. Neil Patrick Harris is a very engaging personality. He's having a lot of fun with this part. They're letting him kind of, uh, uh, and again, this is definitely uh, 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 Lena Wachowski's kind of feelings on uh, uh, the world at large, but it, it works here. He's allowed to kind of be that sort of smarmy type of like faux liberal who doesn't really care, uh, but he says he cares, but you know, you know, he's just doing it for show, you know, which someone like Lena Wachowski and Lily Wachowski, people, you know, trans women who have been through the ringer uh, would have a real problem with. So I think that he's doing a great job with that. And he's bringing his own element to that as well. And But then all of a sudden you think and you go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. All of this cool stuff is happening. And will Neo be able to save Trinity before the bullet hits? But like, there's, there's nothing actually happening here. He's just walking around and explaining the machinations of the movie and why things happen and how they happen. And he's just delivering this huge exposition dump. Just like the the architect scene, which I will give credit to in the old Matrix movies, not that we want to get into them too far, but it was ballsy enough to just put two people in a room sitting and talking about things. It, it was like, all right, no, you want to know what it's all about? Here's what it's all about. Don't try to hide that stuff with, with bells and whistles. You know, The Matrix wasn't really a bells and whistles series, no matter what anybody says. That if you rewatch those movies, even the even the sequels, they weren't about hiding things with bells and whistles. They were earnest attempts to do something. And, and there are so many points in this movie that feel half earnest but half baked. Like it was it was a valiant try, but it just I didn't have the energy to really take this across the goal line. And that scene feels like that to me. Uh, and, and it's just, it, it's it's frustrating. It's frustrating to watch something like that. It's frustrating to see actors with with good screen presence. You know, Keanu Reeves is starting to get a little, you know, I get it. We, we've seen it. It's We, we go in five-year spurts with Keanu where nobody wants to see him anymore that everyone wants him again. And But he's still a, a fun guy to watch. I thought Carrie Ann Moss did a great job. I thought she was excellent as Trinity. And, and I bought that she was... Uh, older and wiser. I thought that they weren't afraid of the fact that she was older. I thought that was cool. And you see that there. But it, it's so talky and so explainy. And it requires so much thought to just kind of wrap your head around why things are happening. It's not worth it. So that's why that scene to me kind of 
it portrays that that middle line that I sat on the whole time watching this movie of just ah, I don't know, just kind of throwing my hands up and saying, mm-hmm. well, what to do with this? I don't know. You you feel like it ultimately doesn't reward you for the amount of thought it wants you to put in. No, it right? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. That that it's it's doing this whole ex- explanatory thing, all of this background, and ultimately it feels like none of it matters. Like none of it stuck in my head, but thankfully it didn't need to because it all came down to, you know, the the architect is bad. And he's trying to stop you from rescuing Trinity. Yeah. That's what Matt, or not the architect. I'm sorry. I even went, see, even I did yeah. it. The analyst yeah. is bad and doesn't want you to rescue Trinity. And that's, that's all that mattered. That's all it came down to. We didn't need to have this long conversation no. where he's going in. At, I, I have to ask, by the way, I actually didn't love the way the effect looked of him going like in the, like, him yeah. moving in sort of normal speed yeah. while everyone else is slowed down. They did this kind of like shadowy fate, like, there was like it's, a uh, you, you left know the second third wave. images yeah. thing behind him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't I didn't love that part of it. I felt like they could have just done with him moving at a normal speed and talking and acting while everything else was slowed down. It, it that part that little effect that they added felt weird and it made it look. I didn't care for the Here's way. Here's what looked. I think about. I don't know. I think about that's a minor thing. No, but, but I agree with you to some point because I, first of all, I think that they did it to differentiate it from. Both the Flash, I think, does it in the DC movies, and they were doing it in the Marvel movies with Quicksilver. So they wanted to add their own little uh, s- s- to it. But also, it, it speaks to another point that the, maybe the way I had my TV tinted and the way the light was hitting it made it look better uh, than it did on your TV. And that's what happens a lot in this movie. And not to get too in the weeds on this stuff because it's boring, but... Uh, they had a, a director of photography. It's not the same as it for any of the sequels. It's the guy who was like Jupiter Ascending and Sense8. And it's that's fine. But the framing and composition of those original Matrix sequel shots is really what makes them incredible. Um, and, and this one, so after the COVID delay, the guy who was the usual DOP for them, he couldn't do it. So their longtime camera operator became the director of photography. And I think it shows sometimes. I think that... The Matrix, which is the slickest visual series of all time, you lose where you're supposed to be. You you don't know where you are, what's happening sometimes. It's all over the place. Like the last, uh, the the Rise of Skywalker Star Wars movie, where you don't, there's 50 things happening at once. And that's not what the Matrix is. And these visual effects, like you say, they can look different uh, from from angle to angle. And again, that's that's sloppy. That's that's like not... there was so much attention to detail on those first movies, perhaps mm-hmm. too much as we moved into them, but there was so much attention to detail on them. And this really does feel like, and again, I don't have a problem with this, but it feels like it was an exercise. It, 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 the story was just a, a way to work out some feelings and the movie just kind of was like, ah, just put it around the this kind of thin story that exists and we'll make a ton of money. And it's it's hard for me to to... to uh, address it in any way other than like, yeah, I don't know, because it is so down the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Because I, I am with you in that. Uh, I think Carrie on Moss might've actually been the best part of the movie. Um, I thought she was great coming back as Trinity. And I thought she like, she knocked that out of the park. I actually didn't mind the sort of mincing of, of Neil Patrick no, Harris so in, in yeah. the analyst yeah, role. Brought a lot of energy. Like that was enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's just there was a lot of stuff around all of that that just didn't hold up. No. The what like you're saying, what they built the story around was so thin that it just it didn't feel like there was any meat on the bones for the movie. No, it really that's that's true. And then, like you said, you know, the, none of the things that happen feel earned. You know, I talked about it last week in the Purple Rain episode. Uh, we talked about it with the Eternals. It's something that's come up a lot as we've talked about movies lately, but you know, these endings where, where they want to have these triumphant moments or these, these romantic moments where at the end of a movie, you have to earn it. You have to at least kind of earn it. And, and sometimes these movies just throw them on. And this does feel like there are so many points where this movie just went, ta-da, it's the matrix. Remember they fly. Ha ah. Or at the end when it was like, look, she's just as powerful. You didn't, you didn't earn that. You, you, you maybe animated it a couple times, but you were too afraid to critique your own old movie that you didn't earn that moment of, of like, oh, she's the real hero. It just felt like, oh, okay, that's just, you wanted to, you did it to be different. All right, I get it. It's not the same. It, 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 nothing feels earned. And I get that comes down to a very thin story at the center of, of a very complex mm -hmm. movie. Right, because then, like, I don't fundamentally disagree with the idea of them going with Trinity as the one who no, discovers her no. powers in this movie. I don't, I don't, I don't dislike that idea. I think that could be interesting. I don't think the way they did it is interesting. I doesn't. You're right. It doesn't feel like that was earned, or that was the way in which the story was going. When it happened, it was largely a surprise to me because I didn't know that's what they were setting up. And if it's a surprise because you don't know, like you can't follow a thread through the movie to say, oh, okay, yeah, they were building to this. Exactly. Then you weren't building towards it very also, well. Also, it didn't have the guts to go all the way with it because if it had the guts to go all the way with it, they would have been switched in their roles. The whole movie would have been about Trinity trying to get Neo back. Just because in the end, the woman character, the damsel that had to be rescued, is the real power in the end. That's cool, and that's better than just having a helpless woman character, but it's it's also pretty cheap and lazy, and more that passive progressivism, where it's like, well, yeah, we don't want... Keanu Reeves is the big star. We know the boys want the boy. We're not going to give him a girl movie. That never works, but... In the end, the girls will be happy because girl power. You know what I mean? But no, it's 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 a cop out. It, it's so mm -hmm. frustrating. This movie. You could have yeah. You could have at least done something where, though no one else believes him. You know, Neo says, "Oh, he believes in Trinity," but that's all we get. Have something that indicates that he uh, he thinks there's something truly yes, special about more so than he Trinity. just loves her. Right. Right. Where, or like somehow when he's extracted, etc., they realize that she's generating yeah. almost all of the power the machines are using currently. There's something different. There's so, like something has changed or whatever. There are ways he could have hinted at this, but he just no, didn't do it. No, it, it's it, it's just it's so it feels a unearned. Bunch of unearned nonsense, just like this podcast. That's <laughs> what I like to do. I don't like to earn anything. That's I like to steal. Uh, but but we're stealing your time, and we're only a little bit more left. When we get back, we're going to talk about our, our feelings on the series in general, where we were with The Matrix when we walked in, and we know Tom loved it with the, what with the little glasses, uh, and, and where we think this movie uh, uh, fits on the how it will affect, I guess, the, the series' legacy when we get back on the movies. Wow. You ever wonder why you have nightmares? Why your own brain tortures you? It's actually us maximizing your output. 
It works just like this. Oh no, can you stop the bullet? If only you could move faster. <laughs> Here's the thing about feelings. They're so much easier to control than facts. Folks, we're back uh, talking about the Matrix Resurrections with the School of Schlock podcast star. And of course, as I said, the star of, uh, of season one of the Nature of My Game podcast and upcoming season three. Uh, very excited about that. It's Tom Witty, and we're talking about the Matrix Resurrections. Uh, the Matrix series is kind of a series that really, I was, it was 1999. I was 13 when it came out. Uh, so it kind of covers our, our our whole like high school, college lives in a way that, you know, nothing else does. It's kind of the series of that period of time in a lot of ways. So uh, uh, briefly, what did you, what were your feelings generally on the series before watching this movie? I feel like my feelings on the series were probably similar to a lot of people's, which is that I thought the first one was terrific. Um, I loved it. I still really love it. Um, I... It has some of the most iconic like action scenes and things in any action movie that I can think of. Uh, and then the sequels, I watched the sequels, and I couldn't tell you what happens in them. No. I, I, I remember an action scene from 2 that I really loved. Or actually, I think a couple of action scenes from 2 that I really loved. I literally remember nothing that happened in 3. Not a damn thing. I saw that movie. I couldn't tell you a single thing that happened in that film other than, spoilers, that Neo and Trinity died at the end. Yeah. I, That's it. And I watched them like and six I, months they ago. They just felt unnecessary. And I don't remember anything either. And the third <laughs> one, there's a big baby face at the end. The bad, the bad uh, machines become a big baby face. Uh, and in the second one, these are the things I remember. Uh, the Merovingian has a cake that makes a lady get all hot and bothered. Uh, that's it. That's all I can really pull out of those movies. Uh, but I, too, I have, you know, I was a little, like, I was right on the cusp of being too young to, like, really go all in on them. I watched the first one, ironically, in sophomore year religion class, I think. Uh, because my, or freshman year, because my teacher, uh, she just didn't care about it, her job anymore. She had been fired and was fig finishing out the semester. So she played the Matrix for us. And I really was, was like, whoa, this is cool. But I was just a little too young to really like get into the, the whole depth of it. But the whole series, I think, was, was ultimately uh, a, a good one. I think that it will you can't really tell these things i don't think for for a long time but i think when you look back 100 years from you know 2099 when you look back it, or that's a thousand years no that's 100 right 100 you yeah, got it i got it all right oh i'm just so bad at math sometimes folks you know i get scared but uh it's 100 years you look back on i think it will be the fount of creativity from that period of time. I think it launched a thousand ideas. I think it made people think about things in different ways. I mean, there are people walking around right now with, with and with good reason, you know, with, with, with interesting evidence that's worth reading about that will 100% tell you that that's actually what life is, that we're brains in a jar and this is a simulation. It, and I know that that conversation existed before the Matrix and it would have existed without it, but, but the Matrix was the first new type of like whoa this is this is completely different you know from a visual uh aspect it blended a bunch of different things in as all great new blockbusters do they borrow from the past but the whole setting and the whole idea behind it felt so new and exciting that i this movie 20 whatever years later will always feel tacked on uh the sequels mm -hmm. will always feel over explainy but like 
you know, the book The Giver has three sequels. Nobody cares or knows about that. They just say, oh, that book's like the great, you know, dystopian children's novel of that era. It's. I think that's what The Matrix will ultimately be. But getting there is like, oh, we got to do this again and again and again? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, the original Matrix, I think, will be thought of fondly for... It, you know, it's hard to say forever, yeah. but for a very long time, yeah, I, I think people will look man, back on the Matrix. Forever. You mm-hmm. know, you can't mm-hmm. say it for sure, but like, you know, I know everyone on the internet for five years loved Paddington and Paddington 2, but where are the Paddington fans these days? Some movies just don't pierce the veil. They don't stay. The Matrix pierced it in a way that like, boy, when you really think about it, Star Wars in the 70s, uh, uh, more so than Indiana Jones, even though everybody loves Indiana Jones, more so than, 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 uh, you know, a movie like Jaws, even though everybody loves Jaws, knows references to Jaws, more so than Independence Day, Men in Black, Twister, all those movies on a, on a scale with like Titanic, it, it, it became something so much more than just a movie. And that I, I think it's, it's place in the culture is locked up. Because you, you can't really, any re-look at it just shows more good. It doesn't really ever be like, oh, it doesn't age well. It ages pretty well. The rest of it ages like milk. Yeah, I, it, it's, it's places unassailable. And you can tell when every, like, spoof comedy movie for a, yes. almost 10 years after it did a scene where someone ducks a something that is thrown or shot at them in bullet time yeah every it's, it's one of those things that's still kung pao under the fist oh yeah uh, or scary movie I, like there were every comedy movie had and some non-comedy movies some movies that were trying to do an actual homage to it not a spoof of it had some a, a scene where someone ducked something in bullet time just like neo does in the infamous like him bending all the way over and it's spinning around the first big bullet time yeah. moment it, it was, every movie and, and they, you know bullet time was pulled from uh uh i can't remember what movie it is it's it's a i think it's a hong kong action movie where they first kind of did stuff like that, but it was this unbelievable innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and it was, it was parodied and everything. And uh, there are people, uh, you know, the, the, it'll still pop up sometimes and it, it's become its own thing. It's like, it's not even referencing mm-hmm. a movie anymore. It's like how, how when you're in a cartoon, a house falls on someone and they, the window uh, keeps them from being crushed. And like, they're just covered in dust. That's no longer a reference to a, like a Buster Keaton film. Like that's what it is. It started yep. from a Buster Keaton movie, but now it's just a trope that happens. Nobody goes, "Oh, they're they're still honoring old Buster." So that's uh, this. The Matrix is that, and will be that, I think, forever. But I, I don't really believe bad sequels can tarnish a movie's legacy. I don't think that that's a real thing. I, I think that the only thing that can tarnish a movie's legacy is is a look back at it, and if quote unquote sequels are ruining it. The reality is it wasn't that strong to begin with because three bad to okay sequels in the matrix still stands the test of time. And they could make three more. I don't think you can really damage its legacy. Let me, let me ask you something. Does this movie get better and thus the sort of legacy of it in line with the, the original matrix get better if the character of bugs uh, introduces herself instead as Buster, as in Keaton. Yeah, uh, yes, absolutely. 
hundred percent. It becomes okay. It becomes something completely different. It becomes something that uh, really, I think, has an important message to tell, and that's the silent comedy fucking sucks. <laughs> no one should think it's funny. Um, and also, what if what if instead of Bugs, she was Yosemite Sam or Elmer Fudd? Yosemite, yeah. If she was Yos- if she said Yosemite, and and as in Sam, not even as in the park. But as in Sam, yeah, it, it genuinely wouldn't matter to me if the rest of the movie was just in, unintelligible. I would say it was good just because I, I have so much, I have such slavish devotion to Yosemite <laughs> Sam. I just want could, could they only say that because it was a, it's a Warner Brothers property? Yes, which I don't know if you guys know that. Like if Disney had made it, would would her name have been Mickey, Mickey or or Donald, <laughs> Goofy? Or die. <laughs> you know, folks. I don't, yeah. I don't know if yep. you know this. If you watch Max, this, you might hear uh, that. This movie was made by Warner Brothers. The parent company that controls the rights to Matrix is Warner Brothers, the large entertainment company, Warner Brothers. They say it about 5,000 times in the first 10 minutes of this movie. Do you have a problem with your parent company, guys? Do you have something you'd like to tell us? Whoa. Oh, I'm working myself into a lather over this. When we get back, folks, we're going to tell you exactly what we thought of the movie, give it the old watch it or don't watch it, and say goodbye, and, and you know, well, well, some other things, too, when we return on the movies. Wow. Welcome back. It's the movies. Wow. And, and it's it's unfortunately coming to an end. Uh, it's time to take the blue pill, ladies and germs. Uh, Mike Krennic, Tom Witte here from the School of Schlock podcast. Uh, Tom, the, the scale we use here on the movies, wow, is a simple one. It requires very little thought and very little uh, uh, effort, uh, just like this movie apparently did. It, it's, it's a simple watch it or don't watch it. And for a movie like this, I know it's tough to boil it down to something so simple. But if you were forced to, would you tell people to watch it or don't watch it. I'm going to have to go with don't watch it. I don't think you're missing anything significant if you don't watch this movie. I, I agree with you 100%. It's the same as it's the same as like the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. It's the same as Ghostbusters to to talk about it again. In, in where you tell people you watch the first one. Their sequels don't worry about it. It doesn't matter that they ever made another one. The good movie is this. The rest is yep. superfluous. The good yep. movie is this. I, I yep. don't think there's any reason to watch this movie whatsoever. It's not horrible. It's not a blight. It didn't, oh, it, my childhood has been ruined. No, it's none of that nonsense, that whiny bullshit. It's just, it's, I don't see why I would ever say to someone, make sure you block out time so you could see nothing happen in, 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 in glorious Technicolor. Right. If you're already planning on watching this movie, you're not going to have a miserable time. No, no. But if you're wondering, like, based on a recommendation, if this is a movie you should seek out and you have lots of other movies on your movie list that you might watch instead, watch one of the other ones. You don't need to see this film. No, you don't. And if The Matrix is, is very important to you, uh, you know, I think both of us are fans of it. Um, thought it was cool, but it didn't really, you know, speak to us in a way that it spoke to some people. Uh, some people who it was one of the earlier like uh, the fans get all wrapped up in, in what it is and and they really you know they it launched a thousand blogs it launched a thousand neckbeards in unfortunate ways 
Uh, you know, you can kind of walk a lot of that, the, the crappiest parts of the internet back to this movie, unfortunately. Um, but if you are someone who, who really has a great deal of affection for it, I definitely wouldn't watch it. If you're someone who doesn't care about the Matrix movies, there's no reason to watch it. The only reason to watch it is if, like you said, you were going to anyway. That's it. Mm -hmm. if it. If it has yep. any weight or stakes for you to watch it, don't. If you're going to anyway, I won't stop you. Yeah, we. This is not a. If you are planning to watch it, we we have to insist that you put <laughs> put the DVD down or cut, hit pause on the stream and back out. We're not going to do that. But d don't. If you weren't planning on watching it anyway, don't don't do it. That is what we are saying though about Ernest goes to Africa. If you're about to press play on Ernest, yeah, goes I will come to your and stop you from watching that film yeah we, we'll cancel you just for watching it and also if if you say to yourself okay all right that's i'm listening to the boys i'm not gonna watch ernest goes to africa but i do need something to watch oh here's a fun bonus feature on the ernest goes to africa dvd oh it's 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 like ernest commercials a few ernest commercials for mellow yellow and and the local law firms that's nice uh don't watch that either because as tom and i discovered it's it's about seven hours worth of Ernest commercials. Oh. It's legitimately longer than Ernest Goes to Africa. I, it was uh, it's one of unbelievable. Yes. It's a movie experience that if someone said to me, what movies, what film watching experiences like are the most important to you? Like what ones are the most uh, uh, seminal? What ones are the most like you remember everything about it? it it's I, I you know I made out with someone during Lincoln. That's number one. Uh, in the theater. And number two, Lincoln. That's very strange. Uh, right? Isn't that odd? Isn't that an odd thing? I just got to come out and say it because whatever comes out about me, I'm ruined. Um, but the second one. That you don't remember that it was me. No, that, yeah, that you were in a wig and you were calling yourself Mary Todd, oddly enough. Um, but it was, uh, the second one is sitting in this very study where I record this podcast right now with you watching those earnest commercials and just literally crying out in, in agony every time a new one started we it was so long i've i've never actually needed to legitimately yell into a pillow but i think we both did that at various oh, points while watching it, oh, it uh, just just screaming as a new earnest commercial started when we were sure they had to be done yes. it had to be over and then yet another one would kick off it's remarkable and like listen we make fun of Ernest but I know there's there's charming parts of saves Christmas charming parts of of a scared stupid uh but everything like post that camp jail um uh Africa uh, the basketball one I can't remember what that's called like above the rim Ernest or something avoid like the plague folks I I would I would I would definitely avoid the late the late stage Ernest films Oh gosh, just thinking about him gives me the willies. Uh, uh, you, you know, as a movie review podcast guy, you know, you've got a tough, a tough eye. Did you, did you have fun on, on the movies? Wow. Here tonight. I did. I did. And I think it's uh, part of it is just that it's fun to talk about a movie that has some good qualities, yeah, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> has some things to, oh. to enjoy. <laughs> it's not like you, when you're, when you're surprised that you have anything fun to say about something, uh, like on your podcast, uh, which I hope uh, uh, to, to jump back on again in the future. And I hope that you uh, uh, come back on here in the future. Uh, in, as, as I offered the same uh, to Tyrone that I offered to you, uh, you think of a movie that you want to do. 
you don't have to right now, but if you got one in your head, feel free. Um, but uh, you name the movie, we'll do the episode. That's the beauty of this show. It doesn't really need to be anything relevant. I, I Number one, I'd be happy to come back. This was a lot of fun to talk to you about. And uh, you can be sure, listeners, that if you do turn into School of Schlock sometime in the future, you'll hear this man uh, on on an episode in the future uh, again, so Very that that is without a doubt. Doing my best, Ernest P. Worrell the whole time. Just know to me, Vern. Hey, yes. Vern, and I'll never be back on any podcast ever. <laughs> I'll be banned. <laughs> be one of the only people on the podcast blacklist. Just me. I'm not allowed to go on anybody's. Tom, it was so much fun uh, having you on here. Uh, uh, say hi to my sister for me, and I will uh, talk to you very soon. Uh, and again, like I said. I look forward to uh, stopping by the School of Schlock soon.